Tom and Ben from Transstate. What's happening? Hello. And Aubrey Wodonga based. Ben, we're going to talk about it's pretty heavy stuff. It's pretty listenable at the same time. And there's a bit of Wagga heritage in this room at the moment as well. So <laughs> as this show is focusing on the entire area, it's good to have people that are based here now but have come from slightly different places around the area, which is something I'll bring up later is something to do with music festivals, which Wagga used to have lots of and now has none. So I was going to talk to you about that. But first, the way this show works is a bit different. Normally we go kind of start at the end. So you guys get a chance to talk about what you're doing now so we don't run out of time. So you just want to tell us about the band, where the name comes from. We had a bit of a pre-chat. And I know there's a bit more to the name, which I did say to the guys that I had completely confused and (laughs) had made up a word in my head, which it turned out to be more complicated than the actual word is to say. So (laughs) sort of take us through how to say it. It was still kind of a cool word. You did well there, man. Um, yeah, the band name is is Trance State. Trance State, yeah, yeah which th- is basically another word for saying flow state, which creative people will know Chicks as like. High. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the point where you forget what you're doing and you're just in the zone, and that's usually when you create your best stuff. So that's what we're yeah always chasing. So. Probably would have called it Flow State if it wasn't already taken. So that would have been yeah. way cooler. <laughs> no, I think that Trans State does sound better. Yeah. <laughs> and when you said earlier, Tom, that there's a, a something behind the name, I thought Trans. I got hung up on the word Trans. I thought, wow. We've, are you guys going to be the world's heaviest Doom Stoner band? Is uh, that what you're going yeah. for? Or? <laughs> we've, we've had a lot of people like they see our ads and stuff and then they're like, it's not trancey enough. I'm like, oh, it's not about trance. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it happens. People get hung up yeah. on the yeah. name. Do you think that's also because the music itself has a bit of an electronic element yeah, too that, that they oh, think definitely. that maybe the trance element's going to be stronger in there? Yeah. It does work to a degree, but we're definitely not a You're not trance pendulum. band. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, not, <laughs> yeah. we're probably never going to be, realistically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. love to be, but I'm oh, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd sing with auto-tune, <laughs> for right sure. On. So maybe just starting with you, Ben, do you just want to take us through what the band actually does sound like and then we can start moving backwards in time and work, uh, out, work out how we got to this point? It's probably the hardest question you could have yeah. asked. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, maybe not what it sounds like. What What do you want it to sound like? What, what basically, does it, yeah. basically... We just want to write music that that we ourselves like, like you know, like we like we both have quite an eclectic taste in music, um, you know, like we yeah you know, we like dance, but you know particularly we like dance music, we like heavy music, and in particular we like the sort of this new like modern wave of progressive um, heavy music, you know, and that's sort of what we were trying to achieve, while at the same time putting our own stamp on it, um, which. I'm not, I'm not, we didn't really try to. It just sort of that's how it came out. It's basically yeah. really heavy music, but it's always got the groove of dance music. Yeah, there. Like we yeah. try to make it as fun as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> while, at, while at the same time being, uh, you know, keeping it heavy, keeping it aggressive. Yeah. So I've basically the whole time I've known both of you guys, which would be. Well, well, in excess of a decade now. We were talking yeah. about this before. You yeah. you gave us our first gig yeah. at Sardin. Yeah. Okay. Well, terrible too. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> well, I don't I remember. I was actually, I do have some notes about where I thought your bands were at at the time. And there was a point where 
certain bands that you're in were they were among the better bands in the region. So when we were talking about that, I was just like, well, it was because of you that Tom and I met. Yeah, it was when I think when yeah, Nemesphixia played with um, Nemesphixia and my old band Netherrealm played with um, Five Star Prison Cell at Sodens. Okay, yeah, and, that, and I think that was two thousand and. It would have been 87 or 08. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it was 08 because I'd, I'd seen Five Star earlier that year with um, the Dillinger Escape Plan. And um, and so by then I was just like, Adam Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they, yeah, they came to Albury and um, and we put, yeah, we played with Tom's old band and I think that's where it all. I was underage. I had to leave straight after. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was well. I was, was never eighteen when yeah. Sodens was yeah, open. I, know. Yeah. I, was sick as I had everyone's age, you know, text file, just so I never got caught out. And trust me, as annoying as that was for you, it was yeah. more annoying for me because yeah. I had to make a oh, prick, prick of myself every week kicking someone out. Yeah, that fine. Before we get big. too sidetracked, yeah. <laughs> just on that, there was actually a Christmas party that I think the band that you might have been in Ben before. Actually, it might not have been you actually. There was a heavy band that were headlining a gig and then a young band from Melbourne turned up. And they might have originally been from Wangaratta. They were a hardcore band and they had a bit of buzz going on. They were all underage and they rocked. They weren't even booked for the gig. Someone else who was on the gig had asked them to come play without actually checking with the venue. Oh, God. And they turned God. up at four in the afternoon with no adults. So even if there was a spot for them, they got kicked out straight away and had to drive back to Melbourne. <laughs> so that was uh, just part of the weird and wonderful world back then. Oh, yeah. But what I was earlier going to say was that you guys, I've known you always to have pretty eclectic taste. Like I know that at one point where before Ben and I were both driving, which I think happened probably later in life for both of us, yeah. would for a normal person, we were taking the bus. On I was teaching music in Wodonga. Yeah. I'm not sure what you were doing. We had a lot of conversations about bands that no one else was listening to, Glassjaw, Dillinger Escape Plan at the time. Yeah. Uh, you got me listening to Devon Townsend, which I'd never really given a chance. Yeah. So, and Tom, I, re- I remember you were just a crazy carnival head. I remember and when I w- Soundawake and, came and I, out and we, yeah. me and you had a conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, and I was never a fan and I think that might have broken your heart at the time <laughs> <laughs> because there was a certain group of the Wagga boys that genuinely thought that was the greatest achievement no. in Australian music ever and I just didn't really get it. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, but I've obviously always known you guys are pretty eclectic in your taste. Yeah. And when I first heard the new band, it didn't actually sound... It sounded like a natural progression of where I'd always thought you guys had interests anyway. Yeah, they yeah. just all kind of come together. Yeah. Like I'd well, through like particularly like when I first like when I first started, you know, taking music seriously, taking being in band seriously, um I'd always sort of wanted to do like a sort of more progressive sort of style band, you know, along the lines of like Meshuggah or Devon Townsend and and that sort of thing. And um it always kind of upset me that no, Tom's old band was actually going in that direction, and you weren't in it, and I wasn't in it. And, and there was there was a guy, but yet there was this guy in there that was um that was singing and not writing lyrics. And I was just like, well, I can write lyrics. I love you, Scott. <laughs> love you, Scotty. If you're listening, <laughs> but um, it was just so it was just really cool that like you know like you know we'd already known each other for so many years when Tom approached me to to work with him. And um, it was finally, it was just really good to finally get a chance to do this style of music. And it's, for me anyway, it's, I think you've said it, you've said it to me before, this is always the style that I should have been singing in the past. And I saw you in bands and I was always like, I could see him doing this, what we're doing now. Like it's yeah. vocal music, it's all about him, really. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and for the people listening, I might see if the guys are okay with giving me a couple of small samples of music. Yeah. So it yeah. makes more sense, and I'll edit yeah. these in throughout, <laughs> yeah, throughout the podcast. As I said earlier, you guys were in bands that became really, really tight and really good in the past, but they were maybe not so much Nemesphixia because they went slightly more progressive earlier. But, Ben, you were in a band, I think it was Netherrealm at the time, that were very, very good at a classic style of metal that maybe creatively probably not as broad as maybe the bands that you've been in since or this project, but no. also you guys kind of more focused on the, we know what this genre is. Yeah. Let's try and be really good at that. Yeah. Like we, so, that sphere. Yeah. We, like with another arm, like we, we'd found our niche and we were going to stick to that. Like we weren't like we, even when we started, we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that. We just wanted to, to write fast, aggressive music and basically showcase our drummer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do when you start a thrash death metal band. You showcase the drummer. Everybody else is just and or anyone else in the band with above average level talent. Yeah, there's <laughs> always someone in the band that's a freak. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, and, and then you know it, it was the same with the band after it. Like you know we we ha- we had these eclectic tastes, but then again, like we were just trying to like we were just like yeah, we want to be heavy, so we might as well just stick to that. And one thing I noticed from that what I've heard what you guys have been doing is that you have managed to do what my the bands that i've been in which were always seen as lighter more progressive kind of bands our bands were maybe more like a stripped back version of like what 12 foot ninja do where they have a bit that sounds like this and then jammed against it's a bit that sounds like that and then another bit and then maybe the bit from the start will come back in a different form but it's almost like wee genre wee genre wee genre (laughs) yeah and whereas you guys seem to be mixing a lot of sound all at the same time together is that, was that something you were conscious of or was that just how it's turned out? Because the, the through line is it's all very heavy. Yeah, I think that's just kind of what I yeah. do. Like I don't even know that I do it. Like we're trying to yeah. teach live members at the moment and things that just seem like whatever to me, they're like, that makes no sense. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've copped that for yeah. 20 years. Yeah, yeah, you just have a weird brain. and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's, a I good, feel, yeah. it's something that I don't think we ever got right with my old band was yeah. me- meshing strange sounds and more listenable sounds together in the same moment. Yeah, yeah. It was always a bit, then another bit. A lot. Like, it's pretty tough. I mean, how you guys are doing it, I think, is certainly the better option because I found that people always reacted as though our music was disjointed. Yeah, yeah, I get... Yeah. Although I like a lot of music like that. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. better prog... Yeah. Prog head, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Righto, so I think we might go back a bit now. So we've got a feel for the band that's... Heavy, there's an electric element, and I'll drop some in hopefully, and then the people who are still listening will know what it's like. (laughs) So, I just want to go back now, and we might just start with the Wagga scene. Yeah, you obviously were a baby when you were first (laughs) out there playing gigs at 15. (laughs) Yeah, and the scene was well and truly alive, particularly in those heavier genres over there. Where do you have any feeling as to where? the Wagga scene is now and I know that the Home Tavern for example is closed and there was the last Dime Day recently which is something else we might talk about given that I wasn't as close to that community I'd love I'm fascinated with what it was and what it became so just start anywhere you want there and we'll so I was there at the last one is in the last Dime Day December yeah and they are really struggling to find another venue yeah I talked to them they said there's not much 
in town that's willing to do it. They all have noise restrictions. They can't go past certain times. And I think everywhere is dealing with these issues with live yeah. venues at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was something that really only became an issue maybe in the mid-2000s-ish. I found was the idea of maybe councils particularly really bending over to people for the lack of a better term that had a noise complaint because a lot of it was a singular discrete individual making a lot of noise about a lot of noise that lives near a nightclub and complains about it. (laughs) I remember there was a huge issue with um, somebody who lived near the, it was near the Bendigo I think in, in, um, in Melbourne. They lived like really close to the Bendigo hotel and they were complaining about, um, about the amount of noise coming from it. And it just, like for me personally, it was just like, you know, why then? Why, you know, sorry for my language. Why the fuck do you live so close you to can a? F- say anything you like. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not the c word. I might <laughs> edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, you know, why the you know why the fuck are you living so close to a live venue, live music venue? Yeah, uh, particularly one uh, getting back to the home. The home to me, although maybe it was never quite as. Uh, pure original music as Sodans, they were somewhat analogous. They were very old buildings in an yeah. old part of the street and they had a lot of yeah. heritage. They made it very easy for you to put shows there yeah, they too. Made yeah. It, yeah. yeah, very and easy to put a show on. Maybe, yeah. to be honest, I mean, I was booking a lot of the shows at Sodans. It was easier to get a gig at the home than there it was, was with me. There was a period of time where they weren't even charging to book it. They were just, we'll just make the money off the alcohol and we're yeah. happy with that. Like, so it was, yeah. but those older venues, and I think that was part of why the scene did take a little dip in the region was that noise complaints were just becoming so prevalent that the venue owners, and I can't speak directly for the the owners of Sodans at the time, but that was where a lot of the issues with the the pub started was it doesn't just affect what's happening on the night, it affects what you're doing during the week. Yeah. Yeah. You're fending off the complaint, whatever, if there happens to be legal action, which I'm not sure there was in either case, but if that's happening, you've got to fight that. You've got to, you know, debate with the council as to if you're a 150-year-old venue, why someone who moved next door in the 70s should have an opinion. Yeah. (laughs) The pub was already there. It's not a fucking mirage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's that's exactly right. Like, like if you you move next door to a pub, like, regardless of whether it's hosting live music or whether it's, you know, whether it's just basically a, a fucking glorified TAB, you know, yeah, if you move just, in next door, you got to expect it to be noisy from from time to time. Like, yeah, just living in town, full stop. Yeah, it's exactly like, it. You know that drunk people are going to be yeah. yelling their heads off walking past you your house. If you don't like the if you don't like the noise, go and live in a fucking farm. No. Yeah, like, yeah, that's no. yeah. I mean, it's it would be not dissimilar to moving in next to the train station and and, and having a bitch that occasionally yeah, yeah, yeah. the you know yeah. there's a horn and a, maybe a carriage goes past it. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably started when things became a little bit tougher. Yeah, but. One thing about Wagga, which I think always, and Aubrey's actually moved a little bit more this way recently, is that Wagga always had a broader idea of what was the live music scene than Aubrey. Yeah. Around here, it yeah. was almost like Little Melbourne. You're an original band, and if you played one cover, that was borderline. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the metal bands did excellent covers, so you guys got away with it more because you were so authentic to the originals, but other bands didn't. And then there was cover bands over here. Yeah. yeah. They weren't really part of the scene. No. Wagga was... Because it was surrounded by towns that had BNSs and all of those yeah. functions and military functions, all of that stuff that was happening over there. The cover scene and the original scene were happening in the same venues, even sometimes on the same nights, not on the same bills, yeah. but upstairs, downstairs, or which is yeah. how it traditionally used to be. Like yeah. you collect like all the 
big like big super bands from the day they all started as cover bands. The and Beatles. They, yeah. yeah, and then yeah, they, hang, Stones, they yeah. hang out with the original artists and they learn from them and, yeah, yeah. tell supposed to be, but yeah. Yeah, because there didn't seem to be as much hostility towards those kinds of musicians over in Wagga. And it was it was a cool place at that time. It was a yeah, yeah. and really there were a cool lot of yeah. I think maybe not because of that, but there were all a lot of high calibre actual players over there. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, like some of the better technical players that I've met were people that were based in Wagga at the time. Yeah. Do you think that was was that to do with how strong the scene was or was there a really good music education system set that up? That too. There? I worked at a music school in Wagga that um, it's still open, I think, but it was massive at that time. There was every kid that was trying to do anything was coming through there and yeah. I think you know Sean Daniel. I do, yeah. He was the teacher there. He was, he's just yeah, a freak. he's a freak. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah and like, <laughs> I'm hoping to get him on here at one point to really it, talk about the home tab and closing down. Get yeah. him talking about guitar nerd stuff and... <clears throat> Yeah. You'll go down a rabbit hole, but you'll yeah. learn something. <laughs> yeah, like there, there were kids like go to that school, like just like that are like doing big things now, like like Lalic from Wind Waker. Yeah, is a former student of Tom's. Yeah, you know, um, just to counterpoint that, when everything was happening with Sodans, Ben, do you think that? Do you think that we knew at the time that the scene was so dependent on one venue? Like, I was inside the bubble. I was actually inside. I didn't realise because I was just trying to stay on top of booking bands every week. I didn't understand that if this goes by the wayside, the scene is just going to fall in a toilet. It didn't feel like that because we also had the youth stuff that was happening in Aubrey and Wodonga so at the that's, time. that's what I was going to bring up too is Wagga had a massive all-ages <coughs> scene as well. We used to do huge yeah, all-ages all shows and then... Overnight, no one wanted to do them anymore. They just cut it. Yeah, well, Ben would remember that stuff disappeared. I mean, you were involved with. I think I met you. Yeah, when you I, were volunteering when, for. Yeah, when I was, you know, volunteering with Fraser and then like as well, but and then um, I was kind of involved in bands at that point. But um, yeah, I think the problem with the the scene it was like, yeah, it was even though we didn't realise it was how dependent we were on Sodans as a live venue because then after that. After Sodans went, all we really had was um, the Retro Youth Cafe, and um, it was it wasn't until God, it was like a year or so later when um, the fucking carriers of all places started, yeah. the old swinging arms started doing shows, <laughs> and um, and like it was, back then, like when they first started, they like they still had that that cool Sodans vibe, like they're just you know how rowdy the crowd were and that like. But in saying that, though, like, there's never going to be another venue like Sodans. Yes. Like, what do, you, I, do you think, though, that that mm. may have been part of the problem? Was that people, like, I didn't realise it because I was just trying to do my job at the time and I was trying to separate the music scene, which was my job to make gigs yeah. happen from my own musical aspirations yeah. for the scene itself and my own band. Do you think maybe the problem was that there there wasn't any other viable options that people had put any time into? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, um, Sodans <laughs> became an entity unto itself, realistically. Yeah. Um, 
No, it was an institution. Like it was, like it, it was still a, is. Yeah, it still is. I go home and you tell Sidon stories. That's what you do. You know, yeah, like we you, all do. You know, like it was, we get, it was yeah. a magical time. <laughs> oh, like I, I think I've been in there once since the since the remodel, and I walked into the bistro, which used to be the beer garden. Cry. I did, I, I, I did cry. <laughs> I was just like. I had my twenty first. What the fuck is this? <laughs> I remember. You, I remember your twenty first. Actually, oh, that now was, you mention it. <laughs> that was brutal. That was brutal. Apparently, Farrell was there, and I don't. I don't remember that shit. Mum had. Mum had pictures, and I. I never got them off her. But yeah, actually, yeah. I remember the way the room was laid out. I don't remember so much the party itself. Yeah, I must have seen it maybe before it happened yeah. like, earlier in the night. Yeah, like there was. I, yeah, I insisted like because. Like mum was like, oh, and you want like black and red everywhere because you're so you're so fucking metal, and I was just like, nah, put a whole heap of pink pink balloons up everywhere and purple streamers. It was hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, at least you're alienating any kind of football team. Yes, well that's true. You did do that. I just, I think with the the scene was very fragile, and even yeah. we thought that it was not maybe not so much in Wagga because you guys had a slightly there was the saloon bar. And yeah. there was also the home right. tavern. Yeah. And yeah. there was also at the time still a lot of underage stuff, yeah. which around here, around 0809, had already started to yeah. dip off like, a little was, bit. The yeah. Albury stuff was only happening really at the youth cafe, whereas yeah. they used to do a lot of big productions. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, yeah, I don't think that – I mean, I wasn't in a position because I was working for the hotel to build up any other yeah. venues, and I probably wouldn't have had the energy to even if I wanted to. And But do you think maybe that – not so much out of laziness, but do you think that we all just took that as a gut punch, Ben, and we just didn't do much as a scene for a long time? Oh, definitely. Because you are right. It took 12 months yeah. for anyone um, to get the kahunas yeah. up to try and do something somewhere else. It wasn't the fact that we were lazy or anything like that. It was just the fact that, like, a lot of venues still had that, that stigma attached that, like heavy, like, heavy music was this really dangerous thing. And the heavy music fans were really like were really dangerous people, and like you know, mosh, mosh pits were violent and and all of this crap and rah rah rah. And, and it hasn't it wasn't until like sort of in the last, God, not even ten years, that that stigma really seems to have died down. Like I remember we we played at my old band, we played at, at fucking one of all places, and um and like to Bernard, Bernard's credit. He would market every single show, heavy heavy music show that he had there, yes. like he, like he was marketing a DJ. He did a p- terrific job, and he really helped pick the scene up when it was starting to fall down. Yeah. And um, I remember, like, I, I always had this thing. I'd, I'd I'd go and talk to security guards and say, you know, thank you for doing such a good job, and all of this crap. And um, and you know, it was no different this night. And I was like, you know, thank you for doing such a good job. He's like. I didn't do fucking nothing. You guys look after yourselves, yeah. sort of thing. And like, and that's sort of where, and that's when I sort of started to notice the shift. Like, and there's, nowadays, there's like, there's more venues that are actually putting on the shows, which is, yeah, because so it's the well, you are right. There was a stigma. I'm not sure whether it was the iconography and the symbolism of oh, metal more than the people. And it's actually oh, the opposite. Definitely. Like, yeah. that's how the whole scene thrives. Is it's a community. That's yeah. that's why people turn to it because they can yeah. walk in and know that. Everyone there is their friend. Like, yeah. yeah, like we go we go there to, to listen to some tunes, watch some bands, and drink some beer. Like, no. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why we had such a focus on it, well, there was three things. It worked. Not 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 very much works. Yeah, yeah. That's something that people don't realise. That many genres of music just do not work financially, and you put yourself in a hole trying to keep it going. 
that there was no never any trouble. Yeah. Unless there was maybe two individuals that had personal issues, which I mean that that could manifest anywhere, regardless of where it was, if two people just personally hate each other. And the other thing was that the scene there was the amount of consumption was always so much better compared to the amount of trouble. Yeah. Like it was a big spending, hard drinking crowd within yeah. the confines of not letting people get totally blasted and you yeah. know hurt themselves or whatever. And the the, the crowd itself, you could get a hundred people in for a metal show, and it would be equivalent to a much bigger show on a different night for a different genre. Yeah. And just to put a cap on that particular point, I remember the most I ever felt endangered running a gig was a fight between two couples that almost started at the door of an Evermore concert. (laughs) (laughs) These two dudes were, well, to be honest, they must have been playing O&M football or something. They were absolute humongous, chiseled dudes and they did not like each other for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And they happened to be in line next to each other and when they turned around and realised it was on. So something had happened (laughs) in the past. Yeah. And that was the the only time I ever felt unsafe (laughs) at that particular place. At an Evermore gig. Was at an Evermore concert. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, this is music that was, what, on the OC or something at the yeah, time. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think that you're you're right that the scene probably was treated a bit unfairly. And I guess the other thing was that there was a stigma that uh, Sodans was the metal pub and it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Which there was other, it was all, it was nothing to do with what was happening. It was really. like yeah. one night a month or not even that, that it's actually yeah, doing that. that yeah. was it. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, so... I mean, a lot of other – there were things that were working, like the actual metal nights on Thursdays that started to just see a natural decline because yeah. people get older and busier and they don't go out as much. And that was – yeah, yeah. so there was other, other pressures. So just getting back maybe to Wagga, that scene seemed to continue for a while, but there were things happening in Wagga. Yeah. Like I recall Dusty Days, for example, the festival, yeah. and there was stuff that used to happen at the Wagga Music Bowl, which was that outdoor – Natural amphitheater tile type yeah. stage. Where did all that stuff go? I'm not too sure about Dusty Days. Was that, that a, not a success? That was a council run thing, so I'm not sure what happened with that. That was yeah. It did, they did it for like three years and then just stopped. Oh, I'm assuming I'm not talking before your time with Dusty Days. No, no, I remember, I remember going to it. I was underage, but it was an underage yep, festival yeah, age yeah. event. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Music Bowl. We did a. Um, and there are spin effects. Is that the name of the band? Or Carn effects? Yeah, they like, yeah, yeah. It was just a massive flop, but it's just too big a venue. Like that venue is meant to hold 5,000, 10,000 people, and, yeah. and uh, and like 200 and something came, but it looked like 10 people. Yeah, 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 well, yeah it like, just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, and like it, it, it would have been all right for that show. It's like they'd been like bigger bands with like Carn effects, and and like it was darkest hour. Yeah, they're pretty decent bands. Yeah, but like just, they, were just, they were still like on the up and up. Yeah, sort of thing. They would have been better off putting it on in the home and just having yeah a good night, and that would have been packed. It seemed great. Yeah, okay, and, so yeah, even at a civic center or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because I do remember. Although I'm by that point had no time for the band really, as far as a listener. I remember there was a massive Parkway Drive show over there. Oh uh, yeah, but that they they can play anywhere and yeah, out and I just yeah. I remember thinking at the time that. I thought that maybe shows like that for bands of that size yeah. were going to sustain at least the Wagga side of things for a fair while. 
but it just. I think Parkway just does their own thing. They've, yeah, they've always done regional but tours. It was without always, realizing yeah, just yeah. how big that band actually was. Yeah, even yeah. then, like it's hard, yeah. like now they're obviously a giant band, but mm. yeah, and they still do regional tours. Like, yeah, it's just what they do. Yeah. yeah, so that was probably a bit of a false signal that <laughs> bands were still going to pull big crowds over there. Yeah, because, yeah, and I mean Ben would know there was a lot of festivals here throughout the years that there was uh, Summer Slam two thousand three. I think that was there was. My old band, my first band, played on the Groove and the Moo the second year that happened. Yeah, I remember it was here for a while, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was another festival that got organised out near the Edamoga Ed- Ed- pub that didn't end up even happening. I think that had Cog and Gyroscope on the bill. And, I, I remember yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, that's a fucking shit show, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that was organised by that no. Tristan Daniel. Tristan Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Anything, any, yeah, that VI space cuck. But, uh, yeah, he, anything that, that, that had his name on it was generally bound to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was just, he was one of those dudes that had all these big dreams. And, um, but then he just couldn't back them up. Yeah. And that's just another, that was another gut punch for the scene that some of the people that were drawing resources and time out of the community were letting people down. I was going to say that before. That was what went wrong with Wagga, was just irresponsible. Promoters and yeah, irresponsible promoters on a booking agent. Metal yeah. night once a week, yeah, every every Thursday night, and then yeah, and then it's the scene's fault when people stop coming. Like yeah, you know, it's just yeah. There's an interesting point. It might be a good way to move off Wagger and come a bit more into the present. There was a little bit of language around the the home closing that it's up to the scene to get out and support the bands, and then there's obviously the other side of the argument that the bands weren't drawing the people. So not that either side's right and it's not meant to be a leading question. How do you guys feel about that as guys that have now been in multiple bands and having been playing live for, you know, a decade or more? Where do you think that onus falls for an original act when it comes to pulling people? It's Um, definitely both. Yeah, definitely. Like you definitely get the local bands feeling entitled, we're from here so we should be able to sell it out thing when they're just not good enough to do it you know yeah. but at the same time you yeah. need the people to support it as well so it's yeah. definitely a bit so of i'm going to speak yeah. maybe more from the inside here and then i'll let ben disagree with me hopefully he does yeah the thing that i don't think people realize when you're actually booking shows is that and i can speak as someone who was in a band and was also a booker of a venue you've only got x amount of minutes a week yeah. that you can dedicate to one of the 10 shows maybe you're trying to put on for that month so the amount of resources you have, particularly when it's not your full-time job, I mean, I was doing that as a third job at yeah. the time, is so small that even if you wanted to add every ounce of effort you could to one particular gig, all you're doing then is sucking time off all the shows, that yeah, all of yeah. them have to be mildly successful, more so than one good one, and then a bunch of real shockers. Yeah. But as a band, you want to think that everyone's doing their utmost for just your gig. And the reality is that the people at the venue just can't. Like, that's what I've tried to tell people. That Would you say that the responsibility is a lot more on the band than they usually think to... It, it, pre- it shouldn't be, but the reality is that it is. See, I would agree with you there. Yeah, I agree. I like, agree. We've said that ourselves. Bands take very little responsibility when yeah. they don't realise that, unfortunately, 
with smaller operations. I mean, it might be different if it's Festival Hall or yeah. Sound, where, like one of the huge touring companies, yeah. but if it's just your local venue in the country. No, yeah. Yeah, that, and like realistically, like um, for, for like a smaller, like for a smaller venue, then responsibility realistically needs to fall upon the band to promote the show. Like, and that's, that's always something that I've believed in. Yeah. Um, it's always something that I've prided myself in as, as being the absolute king of shameless self-promotion. Uh, <laughs> well, you need to be. Exactly right. And, like, the, you know, whether that's, you know, you've got a CD coming out um, or, in the, the, sorry, old school, a group of MP3s coming out <laughs> or, um, um, or, you know, or you've got a show or you've got a video coming out or whatever, like, you've got to promote that. Um, and being a metal band, it does always feel like a venue's doing you a favour by letting you book a show there. <laughs> so all they need to do is give me the show and I'll do the rest. Yeah, yeah well, maybe that's not fair that you felt that way. I mean, it probably depends on the venue, but... Yeah, it's yeah, just a it general... Like, yeah. like, if we were, like... Yeah, it would depend on the venue. Like, you know, like, say, for instance, if we were playing... The home and Soden's never. Like, that was no. always the home for yeah. it. Yeah, I guess it was like, always something that I felt, but there was a certain vibe of I was already in the role that I had and Liam also before me because he actually booked all the, all the shows, yeah. including the very biggest ones, which he continued to do even when I was there. Mm. We were holding people's ability to get major support slots and headlining slots and album launch shows. We were already holding that over people's heads a little bit, being the only venue, to then say, oh, and by the way, you got to do all the work. That was I mean, and I was probably not the personality that could just ignore the fact that I was also a guy that was trying to be in a band yeah, in the yeah. scene. Mm. It was a pretty rough spot to be in and not in a way that I'm chasing sympathy but just trying to get the balance right of yeah. how do I – there's certain people out there that wouldn't like me anyway because maybe I'm not offering the money they want, the dates they want, putting them on the support <laughs> band that they want to play with yeah. X and I, I gave it to somebody else. Yeah, There's probably people that are already frustrated to then go out to the whole scene and say, hey, by the way – I can't do very much for you. Yeah. <laughs> you got to bring all the right. people yourself. It's like fuck you, Josh. <laughs> well, nah, the one thing that I always that I was always really happy with you when it came to when it came to you booking shows was that you didn't discriminate between who were your mates and who weren't sort of thing. Like nah, um, you, that wasn't the role, yeah. No, yeah. you like you would find the perfect band to play with whoever. Like you know, like for instance, you like when you put Tom and I on with um with Five Star Prison Cell, you were like, yeah, I couldn't think of any bands that that would better suit. That them than you guys, you know, was, and yeah, you know, and like it was always just a recurring theme. Like you would, you would pick the perfect bands to go with them. Whereas, like you know, when O'Malley started doing shows, it was it became pretty apparent that the guys booking those shows were putting on the on their mates with putting their mates on with the with the bigger shows, like when um, what was it? it was the red like for instance when the Red Shore came through. And and I'm Atlas got the the support and like not not to not to downplay Atlas like they were a great band in their own right. Their main songwriters are guitarists now, so yeah, boy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> their singers my best friend now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or one of their singers, but I know what you mean. Yeah, Maybe like they they like not they, the ideal choice. Really. No, they yeah, weren't yeah. the ideal not, choice. Nothing against them. Yeah. No, nothing against them. Like they were like they were, like all of those dudes were great friends. Like were great friends to my old band and to yeah. I think at one stage I think for throughout the 2010 the only bands playing around here were yeah. Atlas, Tom's band, and my band. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there was probably other bands around that would have suited oh, the lineup. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I guess there's always, particularly in places like 
most of the venues around here where you don't have in-house production and a dedicated room. Yeah. It always comes down to dollars and cents. And sometimes the perfect band, they might be at the end of a cycle where they're really overexposed, where they've yeah. played just too much to have pulling power on a ticketed show. There could be a lot of reasons. Yeah. And it could come down to something as simple as, Ben, you're one of the few people that maybe can contend with Dan for vicious but yet effective promotion. <laughs> if you're thinking about which band is going to pull, like make sure that every single person knows that Redshaw are playing, Dan Caulfield is the, the number one guy. Maybe not so much then because the tools weren't as good. Mm. But if you put, picked bands out of a hat now, how am I going to get people to know about a show? Part of it comes down to which local band's going to do the most work. Yeah. And I think creatives in general tend to not like to talk about money, but money is a major factor in it. Oh, definitely. If this band's going to make more money, then you book them. Yeah, yeah. Like there were, I had a lot of incident, definitely not with either of the bands you guys are in because you probably wouldn't be in bands with people like this, but (laughs) nights where the opening band on a gig somehow became very self-referential in the fact that, oh, the, the venue's full. We should now be able to go to the venue booker and demand more money when they're playing with two or three other bands that pulled a full venue full of people and there was five people watching them at the start. Yeah, no, fuck that. I had those conversations. Doing it for the wrong reasons. Even, from, yeah, me, even from people around here. Yeah. I'm like, we could have, if it hadn't been, well, we never did it, but I know venues do, they do a guarantee plus percentage of bar. Yeah. Like there are venues around here that have trialled that. That's fine, but yeah. that was part of what made the scene, it almost sucked the energy out of you as a booker, to be yeah. honest, when there's people in the scene that really haven't even got a leg up yet that are asking you for, you know, for you to yeah. pull them up and give them heaps of cash when they're not <laughs> yeah, prepared no. to do any work. It's like, yeah. like, if you can't go out and put up a $10 poster, like do a run, I'm yeah. not going to pay you an extra $1,000 to turn up because no one's getting that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, mate. You're not getting paid more than the headline. If, yeah. <laughs> if they're really worried about that, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. No, exactly yeah, right. Turned on. And I'm sure that that focus on the money side of things, I mean, there's the other side. You could be like me where I was so completely not that way. Yeah. It wasn't until I started booking shows and I found out exactly yeah. how little money professional bands have to try and live off yeah. that I started to realise, okay, well, maybe the money conversation is more important than I thought it was. Yeah. People do see music and money as being a bit closer together than I do. Yeah. But then there's people that just saw them as it's an avenue to make extra cash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I go deliver a pizza, now you can drive for Uber. There's yeah. other ways to make money. Yeah, mate. exactly. Yeah. If we want to make money, you don't become a musician. Yeah, well, that's no, exactly well, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, if, if you do, then you join a cover band. <laughs> or if you do, you yeah. don't buy 30 fucking expensive guitars like I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, so we might come there. right forward now, guys, and just mm. talk about with this record, something that fascinates me is the last CD that I made with a band came out in 2012. Yeah. It took 12 or 14 months to make and a shitload of hours. Mm. And you guys, from what I can tell, I'm not sure about the drums, where they were done, but you're making essentially a record in your house, yeah. which wasn't even conceivable even 10 years ago that it could have the quality that you guys are putting out there. And, now, I mean, there were... Uh, progenitors to that sound like uh, the early periphery record and those sort of things where you're like wow they're getting amazing sounds mostly digital but the drums were tracked live and this they would have been doing it like running all of their digital equipment probably through really high-end yeah. you know cab modelers and all that sort of stuff yeah. whereas now you're doing it essentially from home yeah oh, our drums are programmed but that's out of necessity i just yeah, yeah. 
got to the point where it was so hard to put a band together and so mm. frustrating that I was like, I'm just going to sit down for two years and learn how to do this myself. And Musicians are the yeah, okay. fucking so let's, worst people. So just for anyone who's listening they don't quite get what you mean there, like it, let's maybe first talk about what the pro, when you, what you mean by programmed and then we'll talk about how maybe that suits your style of music anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you say programmed, you want to just tell us what that so is, Tom. So Basically just you have a map and you draw out what each drummer's doing and it's sent to a sampler and what the sampler is doing is it's someone has pre-recorded drums for you and they've... A, per- so- a perfect sound. Yeah, yeah, and they have yeah. multiple hits at different volumes and you can decide basically what yeah. hit you want with velocities and... Different mic placements and everything, it's, yeah. It's become so easy to make realistic sounding program drums now that it's kind of gotten to the point where unless you can do drums really well, you're probably better off programming them. Do you think that does that hold across most styles of music or just for your particular No, genres? definitely not. I'd, I think anything with as much, as little dynamics as we have. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you were trying to do an, like a stoner rock or an indie rock thing, you'd definitely know. Yeah. Okay, so essentially just for people that maybe still don't can't quite visualize what you're doing. It's basically a quantized map on the screen where it's basically you're placing things on a vertical line which represents a beat or a quarter yeah, note. Yeah, you have a however you decide to break piano the roll, a keyboard, and each note is a particular drum, and you yeah. just draw a dot. So essentially, on there, you're yeah. drawing drums. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. If you want things to happen contemporaneously, they're right on top of each other. I would assume, as you would if you were writing a score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't, and speaking the quantize thing, I don't quantize program drums. That's the one of the big yeah, so maybe mistakes just, people just make. Maybe for the people who were thinking that's where you're going, yeah. do you want to just describe what the quantize? So thing quantizing is? would be everything perfectly in time. So say if you have a kick and a snare, they're on top of each other, straight on top of each other. Whereas I will move them around. Yeah. So do you do that to try and make it sound a little bit more like a real human being? Yeah. Because I know I think that for a lot of us that we're used to hearing, particularly for me, because I was much more into, and I probably was part of my why I didn't like Carnival argument at the time. <laughs> I was much more into seventies progressive bands than yeah. I was into the new bands, yeah. Rush and Pink Floyd and bands of that nature and Genesis. Yeah. The having heard real, like highly technical drums, yeah. but drums that were real for so long. You definitely quant- still can tell the, the difference. The quantized thing yeah. made it all feel like someone had just nudged things. And like it, it felt like you were kind of being squashed a bit. And it makes things sound narrower too. Yeah, well, that's kind of if, what I mean. Like it's yeah. all been like yeah, yeah, it's pushed together all loses like. its natural width. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, you're drawing the drum, which I think I mean that's a talent in and of itself. Something I wouldn't be able to do. So yeah, it drives me nuts. I'll be honest. I bet it does. <laughs> <laughs> and was that something? I'm not sure if Ben was involved from day one, but was that learning process? Was that something that basically Ben had to just pre- be prepared for you to to learn and get your head around, or were you still? I think you've basically spent the last two years just waiting, sitting around tapping your foot, like, "Come on!" Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't really have much to do with the you know the right like well the writing process when it came to um, the music. Because I'm, I'm not a musician. I pick up a microphone and yell at it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I just lock myself well, in my cave and don't yeah. come out until it's done. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. And I didn't really have much to do with the recording side of things, even though it is something that I'd love to get into. It's just I'm not going to bother making excuses. I don't know why I haven't done it yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I've got all this equipment. I've got a room full of gear here and I basically I can, I'm highly technical with the podcast stuff. And voiceover type stuff. Yeah. But if you ask me to sit here and try and record a guitar sound into Logic, 
if it was any more difficult than putting an SM7B on my yeah. <laughs> bad, bad cat cab over there and just playing a note, I wouldn't fucking know what to do with it after that. <laughs> like compressors or reverbs or anything, the note sounds like what I played, that's it. Yeah, yeah so that's probably not such a bad thing. Mm. So was there writing, like, were, you, were the songs in some form some as, of those as songs, demos or they'd been around for Some of those songs have been around for a One while. One of them's a Nemesphixia song yeah. that we just bailed on halfway through and then I've recovered it yeah, years okay. later. So, so you were already, obviously by the sounds of that, you were moving in this yeah, potential yeah. direction anyway. At some and it point. didn't really work with that band and then yeah. I left that and just kind of just what I always wanted to do, yeah. Yeah, I love making weird I, sounds. I was the music. during my <laughs> quote unquote research for this episode, which sounds weird when I actually know you both. But <laughs> I was trying Stalking to put the I was, yeah, I was trying to put the timeline <laughs> together. As it, it felt like this band had been coming in and out of my visibility over a long period of time, but maybe I was just confused, and it might have been other projects. Well, that, Quinny wasn't actually in it when I released the first single. It was yeah. it was my solo project, and it, it actually says featuring Ben Quinn on the YouTube video and everything. Mm. And then we did the one song, and I just realised I couldn't do it without him. No, I was like, no one else is going to be able to do it that good, so I may as well just yeah, turn this into that's an a actual good thing. band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuzzy moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the just with the recording process, obviously, I was assuming you're using digital yeah. modelling for most of the other instruments as well, whether it's. It's got the bass or the guitar. So good now, like it's. It's something I actually might talk to you once we're done today about. I want to start recording guitar demos again yeah. for these songs I'm writing, but yeah. figure out an easy way to just plug in and do it. Yeah. Every year something comes out, and I'm like, oh, it's oh, gotten it's even nice. better. I have to spend more money. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing just how, how far it's come. Like even just like ten years ago, like to set up a decent studio to get the sounds that, that Tom's gotten. You'd need tens of thousands of dollars, almost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and now it's now it's. I've probably spent twenty grand, but that's over a period of ten years, yeah. slightly accumulating yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just it's just you know like the the technology that's that's available to be able to you know to to do this is just so readily available now, and it's so affordable, and it's 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 in, it's incredible. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Okay, so what about maybe from the vocal point of view? Obviously, that's something that's got to come from a real human being. If if you want an insight into that, you can go watch our Facebook Live videos of when we recorded it. There's yeah. a lot of swearing and a lot of drunken yelling, but yeah, I, I <laughs> it's did, good yeah. fun. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all me. Yeah, um, yeah it's a man and a good old fashioned seven B. Yeah, sure SM seven B. I'm looking at your. Looking at yours in the yeah, background. Yeah, I've got one there. over there. <laughs> yeah, boy. It just, uh, I would have actually had one of you guys on one, but it just takes so much juice to get a yeah, sound yeah. out of it. Yeah. I, I had to buy an external preamp just to get Yeah, I've to got work. one here, yeah. but I didn't have enough cables to plug in. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about putting real vocals into a predominantly digital environment. How, when you're mixing that all together, do you find this, is it easier or harder than in maybe an analog situation to find the space for? A vocal. It's just harder with what we do with all the electronic stuff. Yeah, because right um, I spend most of my time making room for vocals, carving out space <laughs> in everything just mm. to get them to even Pop sit out. there properly. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, yeah. That's what I spend the most time on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just been fascinating for me to think like the sound, like the vocals actually had some real presence, and I've heard a lot of pretty heavy music which was made you know, not in a massive studio where the vocals are really just lost in the modern production I style. I think yeah. that was our main 
concern. I wanted to be a vocal band. I wanted to be all about him. And yeah. that's a conscious decision. Like, it's it's also arrangement. You put things in certain places and knowing that there's going to be vocals there. And, you, yeah. yeah, you have to think about it beforehand. Yeah, I guess the other thing, well, the thing I probably liked most about the sounds that I've heard is that not the thing I find hardest to distinguish when it comes to vocals and the modern production style of a lot of heavy music is that every sound has a lot of timber in it now. Yeah. And it's a lot of uh, what I, it's almost like there's a wacky crack sound to absolutely everything has a lot of transient. Yeah. 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 And it's like all of that sound together is space which normally used to have to me more vocal yeah. room yeah. there. Because every guitar sound now sounds like gang, 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 gang. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. <laughs> but when there's, you're competing directly with certain ranges of the human voice, yeah. it can just sound like one massive drum kit to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, definitely. I, I, that's one of the things I've battled the most is getting the guitars to even be able to be heard all, over all those synths. Like it's, hmm. it's just one big balancing act. Just. Yeah. moving things, trying to get things to sit right. And, and yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, as a vocalist, this is one thing that I've never had to, to worry about with any of the bands that I've been in was, um, you know, with, you know, being, you know, coming from a predominantly a death metal and a thrash metal background, basically all I had to do is just get up there and, you know, look angry and go, <laughs> whereas, um, whereas now, like I've, you know, actually had to worry about, pitch and projection and all of this sort of stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm really anal about that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, like, how a phrase sounds yeah. for what it's saying. Mm. I think you said you'd never thought of that, that before. Yeah. Whereas I'll be like, you need to say it this way because you're trying to say this. You need to – Yeah. Like, it's all about the emotion. That's how people connect yeah. to vocalists. And it's, and it's been, like, you know, and just, like, even just, like, timing as well. Like, it's always – timing's always been something I've prided myself on as, you know, as a vocalist. But – um with trans state it's just been on a whole different level it's been like oh you, you need to come in on this kick or this snare so there's obviously a lot of phrasing yeah, attention yeah. to phrasing yeah phrasing and just precision that i never really had to deal with before now but i'm, I'm glad i've done it because yeah. it's improved me my performance speaking of phrasing on a bit of a tangent was it you ben that was linking to a lamb of god chester bennington song the other day was that you that did that Yes. Yeah. There's a whole section in the middle of that song where the phrasing is very, like it's very unique and weird. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, it just got me thinking about vocal phrasing. Like <laughs> it really did. I was like, wow, that was all phrased in a really weird, unique yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Bennington, well, Bennington had a had a real knack for And that's for funny. We're talking different. about a guy that I think we all knew secretly yeah. was one of the best singers yeah. on the planet, but we never would have admitted to him yeah. wanting to listen to him. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> Whereas 10 years, 20 years later, we're like, oh, the guy was obviously maybe not in my favourite band. Theory, Hybrid Theory and Meteora still, oh, still get me. I'm not a massive time. fan of the band. <laughs> yeah. like, the music so much as his vocals were always pretty yeah. good. Oh, his, like, I think that was the thing with, with them is just like his vocals were always the standpoint. Like I listened to Mike Shinoda and he sounded yeah, you know everybody has that one mate that thinks they're a rapper and they just they start and you just go like, <laughs> yeah. bro, for I think fuck's sake, shut up. Like, that's how I of, think of Mike Shinoda. <laughs> yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a, a lot of, I'm writing all the songs on the guitar and the keyboard and the drums and everything else, so I have to be in the band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, it was like, I can rap, it? I can kind of rap yeah. and play piano at the same time. It was like, okay, okay, it? Jesus. Righto, guys. What well, do you want to just tell us what, what's going to happen with this record and then we'll probably finish up? So, so we are finalizing now. We'll have a date yeah. and 
couple of weeks of when we yeah. want to put it out. Um, we're basically, we're talking about today, we're going to do pre-orders a month before, and if you pre-order it, you get it the minute you pre-order it yeah. as a digital download. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Kind of an incentive. So is it a pre-order for a physical copy? Physical, yeah. Physical and copy, it, yeah. and we're, it's all going to be for free download when it comes out anyway, so okay. people don't yeah. have to buy it. But if any, some people still collect CDs maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up, and this might be the third tangent for today. Yeah. <laughs> I have been listening to the latest Coheed and Cambria CD yeah. on CD in my car. It's, it's a nice feeling, isn't it? And I forgot yeah. just how much richer... Yeah. The sound is off oh, the CD, yeah. and it's not meant to be because yeah. I'm streaming Spotify at 320 kilobits a second. Yeah, it's funny that yeah. it's only 16-bit too, but it just seems... I think that, <laughs> and this is probably a little bit audio geekishness, I think it's because even if you select the highest bit rate, I mean, it might be different if you're downloading everything first, but if you're actually streaming a song, the moment-to-moment quality you're getting can actually vary quite a bit, and it only really averages out... You're also relying on the quality of your hardware as well. Yeah. yeah. You're going from a phone to Bluetooth yeah. to all that. Yeah. Every little step makes a detriment. Yeah. There are a lot of devices where I know like that the actual internal modems of the device itself can't really perform optimally streaming it full, yeah. full bit rate, whether yeah. it's YouTube or music. Yeah. And then you're right, you're putting it through a what maybe costs a dollar fifty to make a set of earbuds or yeah, how yeah. you're gonna to listen to it or fucking beats by Dre. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the recording thing, that's the issue with recording gear at the moment too. We're getting to the point where the software is that good, but our computers aren't powerful enough to run it yet. Yeah. Okay. So we're just at a stalemate. Well I, this is a twenty twelve iMac. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have a twenty ten Mac Pro yeah. so I'm, yeah. I completely <laughs> maxed it out when I bought it. I got the fastest Video card, uh, the RAM, the CPU, which I think it's it's an i7, yeah. which at the time was the fastest one you could get. And I did that all instead of getting a 27-inch. Yeah. <laughs> and the price worked out about the same. And it's only just started to slow down now when I've downloaded the, I don't know whether you either of you are aware of the company, Isotope. Yeah, yeah. But they do a lot of audio repair, oh, you know, yeah. which is, what is part of what's going to yeah. make today sound a lot better than it yeah. sounds at the moment when I'm finished doing it. I use Ozone for mastering. So. Yeah, that's a yeah. mastering program. Yeah. 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 Well, I use a lot of what's called RX-7, which is audio repair tools, removes mouth noise and uh, reverb from the room or whatever. Yeah. The computer's really starting to choke on that. Yeah. And I've got a 2017 MacBook Pro, and I was thinking, oh, fuck, I really don't want to have to dedicate my laptop which cost me a fucking fortune. It was twice what this cost. <laughs> Fuck. And I was like, I don't really want to have to have one of those cradles and then yeah. have a, a screen. Yeah. And I went and priced the 2018 iMac Pro. And I was thinking, wait a sec, because uh, I went through and cl- checked all the boxes, just basically maxed out everything except I only want this size screen because yeah. the 27-inch 5K retina screen is over $1,000 alone. And it came to fourteen and a half thousand dollars Fourteen and a half thousand. I've done the same thing. It Um, is. I mean, that's why I'm glad I got because I got a Mac Pro Tower 2010, and I'm so glad I got that because I've already priced completely maxing it out, upgrading it all, and I can actually do it because it's a tower. I'm so glad I did that. So I'm just going to put an SSD in this. Yeah, that'll make a world of difference. Change the actual RAM out for better quality RAM if I can, and try and get another couple of years out of it. But I'm resigned myself to the fact that now. I'm going to have to just buy a really expensive monitor and then run my, basically run my laptop into this because the laptop is 
pretty powerful. And yeah. Cost me five grand as opposed to 15. Yeah, I kind of priced mine out. I think I can spend five grand. Like, that doesn't seem like much when mine out. all of us have spent fortunes on. Yeah. Like, you just bought a guitar that probably cost more than my Corolla, but. No, nah, it was actually surprising. I'm joking. Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, righto, guys. Well, thank you for joining me on Punching Sideways. Too easy. Thanks for having us. A lot man. of fun. Uh, thank you to Tristan Tate, who did the artwork for this show. I love Tristan. Oh, and beautiful he's, boy. And he's helping me with some artwork for a little project I'm going to stick on the end of these episodes soon. Ooh, you're so damn right he is. I always get excited <laughs> when I'm waiting for his artwork to come back. Oh, don't we all? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think most of the initial downloads for this show came from having a really cool caricature that he did. I don't yeah. think people actually knew what it was that they were clicking on. They just yeah. wanted to see a larger version of the picture. Yeah. So thanks, Tristan. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Right thanks, Tom. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, so hopefully when the record's out, I can get you back on and we can talk about how things are progressing as Definitely. it rolls out. Sounds good. Right Definitely, man. Catch up. Catch up. Picture in glorious color. Devolution!